Pursuant to the Fair Use Doctrine of Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, limited use of copyrighted material is permitted for specific purposes such as criticism, comment, news, reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. This podcast is otherwise copyrighted by the Underground Christian Broadcast. Welcome to episode 41 of the Underground Christian Podcast, where the Bible and the 21st century collide head-on in a spectacular display of shock and awe. Oh boy, do we have some interesting things to cover today. I am not going to get into the financial implosion that's looming on the horizon, the fall of the banks, and central bank digital currency, otherwise known as CBDC, that's the backbone of the globalist scheme to enslave us all. If you were to look at my bank account, it would be clear that there are lots of other people who are a lot better qualified to talk about that than me. But it's important to know it's coming because the CBDC is the enforcement backbone of the whole globalist New World Order enslavement system. Other than physical beatings, imprisonment, and executions, of course. If you're not in favor of enslavement and death to save the world, well, that's great. But if you are a Christian, you may want to hold off on running out to join a mob that's trying to save America. They're everywhere. I get emails and texts every day from them. Groups like Time to Free America. They sure sound like they are doing the right thing, being run by vociferous Christians who like to promote Donald Trump and conservative causes. It can be very tempting to join such a group in this conflict. Any group that appears to be more righteous than the ones it's fighting. But it's actually counterproductive for Christians to do that because all of these groups are just different facets of the world system. It's normal to see the events around us as being caused by the malice, greed, and corruption of human beings, and we reflectively want to band together to fight the evil on the other side, thinking we can restore America and our lives to what they once were if we can just get rid of those wretches over there. If we can get the right politician in office, or if we can just fix the election system, or if we can sue the right person for the right reason, all will be back on the road to health. It is the U.S. versus them battleground scenario where it becomes essential for us to defeat them. Yet, all of this is just an illusion of the age, a deception that's founded in delusion. In the Old Testament, God didn't create Israel to become one of the nations to fix and adjust the evil that characterized the rest of the world. He created Israel to separate itself from the world, to keep itself apart from it, which they failed miserably to do. The result was that it was functionally impossible to tell Israel apart from the rest of the nations, which is why their nation fell. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul advises his students not to focus on defeating governments, not to try and change political systems and rulers, but instead to be good citizens. Now, these appear to be two very different approaches. One focuses on replacing the status quo political system with a new one, and the other focuses on living within the existing systems. Why? Did God make a mistakey with Israel and learn a lesson that he applied to Christians? No, not at all. It's the same idea that is applied in two different situations. It's the idea of separation. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were part of a nation that was to separate from the rest of the nations. As part of that national separation, they would automatically be separated from the values and desires of the rest of the world. The problem is that they didn't keep their nation separate from the others. In fact, At no time did the nation of Israel ever separate itself from the other nations the way it was supposed to, and so never could develop a whole new set of values and desires and motivations apart from the rest of humanity. The result was that Israel absorbed the values, desires, and motivations of the world around them, and thereby doomed the separation concept to the dustbin of history. Israel was God's covenant nation that he created by carving it physically out of the rest of the world, which is Satan's kingdom. The reason that Paul in the New Testament took a different approach to his advice to Christians is that Christianity is not a covenant nation. It has no borders and no allocated land grants, but separation still applies. We are not to try to establish national land borders like Israel because God did not give Christians a national sovereignty and hence Paul's admonition for Christians to be good citizens while they live in whatever nation they find themselves. But the command to separate ourselves is still in effect. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. That is a direct instruction to separate. 
John said in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. That is the practical way to separate ourselves from the world. We have to affirmatively reject its values, desires, and pursuits in order to achieve separation. In Luke 6.22, Jesus told his disciples, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And they will do that only when Christians separate themselves from the values, desires, and pursuits of the world. Do you promote genital mutilation and baby killing? Then you're going to be loved by the world. Do you object to these things? Then you will be hated by the world. A problem arises in the lives of Christians who understand and implement separation from the world when we want to take sides in the world system. And all political parties and agendas and officials and bureaucrats are part of the world system. So are the courts and the military and the mainstream media and every large corporation on earth, and most of the medium and small ones for that matter. Maybe the things that they do don't seem to align with Satan's overall plan, but every side in the world system contributes to his campaign through activities that are directed and controlled through spiritual manipulation. There are many alt-media Christians encouraging us to band together under this flag or that flag to fight the infidels with worldly weapons through worldly means. In the world, we are not going to win regardless of which mob we choose to join. Oh, we might win a limited victory here or a temporary reprieve there, but the war cannot be won by fighting the world with the weapons and tactics of the world. It can only be won by fighting the world with Jesus Christ using the methods and tactics that he provided. That means we are obligated to learn how, when, and where to fight Satan and the world, and our definition of victory needs to be amended. The instructions about how to fight are embedded all through the Bible, and the definition of victory is only perceptible through the study of prophecy. We American Christians should start by understanding first and foremost that America is already lost. It is not God's covenant nation, and no matter how many churches we plant on it, this nation, as currently constructed, is not going to endure inside Satan's dominion. Maybe, if we strategically compromise with the world forces, it will live on for a little while longer, gaining a kind of reprieve. Or maybe it will be gone by tomorrow. Our job, biblically, is not to preserve American exceptionalism at all costs, but to do what we are supposed to do regardless of how long America does or does not last. Likewise, we need to accept that our personal lifestyles may not last. It's true, we don't want to lose our personal lifestyles, as most of us have become accustomed to them, but just like everything else, they are dying and will soon pass away. I do believe that the good times are almost gone. The sooner we accept that this world is dying, including our nation and its lifestyles, the faster we will start doing our job and the more effective we will be at doing it. The reason that we discern and discuss worldly events in this podcast is the same reason that we study prophecy, assuming that we study prophecy. It is to discern what our job is and how we are to do it. In the general sense, every Christian must select which of two paths to go down. It's kind of sort of like that poem from Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And that's about as far as the poem analogy goes, because the poem is not about God. Our poem is the Bible. Other than that, the only light we will have to help us select the proper path is the light of darkness. Worldly people grab hold of that light of darkness to help them make their choice, and so do many professing Christians, unfortunately. In the modern era, the light of darkness looks a lot like a fantasy world of make-believe. It is the make-believe of ego that tells us we are the masters of our own universe and have the power to manipulate our circumstances enough to guide us to the correct destiny. It's the make-believe of materialism that tells us we are tiny specks of serendipity on a meaningless ball of dust in an almost infinite universe with no fixed moral rules or laws of righteousness, and therefore we can do whatever we want with impunity. It's the make-believe of peace and safety that is promoted by governments and organizations that we think have our best interests at heart, but they really don't. It is the make-believe that human hearts are naturally honest and good, and that bad people emerge out of circumstances beyond their control. It is the make-believe of self-sovereignty that we can act with impunity toward God and man, both on a personal level and a national level, and there will be no eternal consequences for our actions. This is why I feel sorry for people who live their lives without the Bible. 
They have no means by which to see what is really going on and no reference of comparison to discern truth from lies. They are walking in so much darkness that they will have no hope of finding the correct path when the choice finally confronts them. A make-believe life is a delusional life, and the world is full of delusions. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not implying that Christians are any different. Many professing Christians also suffer from delusions, but at least they have a true and faithful witness at their side that they can pull from the bookshelf, dust off, and read at any time for some true light and guidance. They do, at least, until the masters of the universe decide to take that away from us too. And they will take our Bibles away from us, because in Amos 8, 11-12, God warns us that they are going to do just that. He wrote, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and northward to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. The word of God is with us abundantly today, but it is not going to remain that way. The enemies of God even now are planning to take away anything that even remotely gets in their way, and the Bible gets in their way. Bible-holding Christians are destined to become a primary target of their wrath, along with anyone else who tries to keep one in their possession. But before that happens, prophecy informs us that Christians are going to encounter two paths, and they will need to make a choice which one to go down. No matter which path they pick, they will be able to look back in time and say with truth, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And it will make all the difference, no matter which path they take. But unlike in the Frost poem, Christians will possess full knowledge of which path they want to go down. One path will be selected by the prepared Christian, which are those who have read and correctly understand the words of Scripture, and the other path will be selected by everyone else. The path of the first group of Christians will lead to a door that they will walk through, one that will take them out of harm's way and to a place of safety where they will sit down peacefully at the greatest feast ever held. It is a door that Jesus tells us will open and no one will shut, and will shut and no one will open. It is a door to what is commonly referred to in English as the rapture, which in the original Greek is the word harpazo. That word means to seize or to carry off or to snatch out of or to snatch away from. We call this event the rapture in English because the word comes from the Roman Vulgate, which is the Latin version of the Bible. The Vulgate translates the Greek word harpazo as rapturo in Latin. And when the Bible was written in English, the Latin word rapturo was transliterated into the English word rapture. In more modern translations, harpazo is often translated as caught up, but the event is still referred to as the rapture. That will be the moment when one very special generation of Christians will be taken to Jesus Christ without the necessity of first having to die the normal way. When writing to the church at Corinth, the great apostle Paul told the Corinthians, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The word behold is used as an exclamation point in Hebrew, indicating something shocking and exciting. A mystery is a hidden spiritual truth that is revealed. The revelation of the mystery is that not all Christians will sleep, which is a euphemism for dying and waiting in a disembodied state. Not all Christians will have to die and wait. Which ones and what does it look like? Paul answered that in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where he said, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is a message that God himself sent to us through the Apostle Paul. It's not Paul's creative imagination at work, but a literal message from God. The event occurs the first time that Jesus Christ will physically return to the earth following the crucifixion and resurrection. 
It isn't his permanent return when he sets foot on Mount Zion, but an initial return to give a command to his angels so that they can do something very special. It is the moment when the Christians in Jesus Christ will rise. There are all kinds of creative TV shows that picture this event as disembodied spirits floating up into the sky, or people emerging from graveyards around the earth in a kind of creepy Night of the Living Dead event. While that makes good theater, it's not what's going to happen. The term that describes the re-entrance of a human soul into a new and perfected human body is the word rise. So Paul says, those who have died already, those who are already waiting, will at this event be the first ones to receive their new bodies. These souls of dead people are not located in graveyards on the earth, and they are not wandering aimlessly around the earth. These souls are with Jesus Christ, as Paul indicated in 2 Corinthians 5.8. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When Christians die, we go at once to be with the Lord. That's Jesus. So those who have already died and are already with Jesus Christ will be the first ones to get their new physical bodies. They won't need to go anywhere because they are already where they need to be. There will be no floating up from the ground and no emerging of dead bodies from the ground. After that, the Christians who are still alive and walking on the earth will get their new bodies. They can't get their new bodies without first discarding the old ones, which is the context of Paul's statement. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The being caught up, or the snatching away, which is probably a better translation, is not a snatching of our bodies from the earth, but a snatching of our souls from our bodies. It is the souls of Christians on the earth that will be snatched away suddenly at the command of Jesus Christ. In other words, there won't be any dying process. The bodies will simply drop and be left behind. The souls of those Christians will be taken immediately to where Jesus and the rest of the Christians are located, which is not a cloud in the sky. They will be taken to the Shekinah glory of God, the physical manifestation of God, which often takes the form of a cloud. In other words, Christians who are alive at the time of the rapture will have their souls snatched away to the place where God is, where they will receive a new, permanent, eternal body, and where they will be with Jesus Christ and the rest of those who have died in Christ from that point on. And who are these last Christians? They will be the remnant, a small fraction of the much larger group of people who will call themselves Christians in that day. The thing that differentiates these snatched Christians from the other Christians is the path they choose to follow when the path diverged in front of them. These Christians choose to take the path of obedience to Christ and not to themselves. They left their own likes, wants, and desires behind to accept in their place the likes, wants, and desires of Jesus Christ. They realize that life is not about how they see things, but rather how God sees things. They are an exclusive subset of the much larger group of people who call themselves Christians but who reject what God wants and Jesus Christ commands in favor of what they want and what their soul commands. It is the difference between making Jesus our Savior and making him our Lord. Every Christian wants a Savior. Only some Christians want a Lord to go along with a Savior. What is called the Lordship of Christ is simply the willingness of a Christian to submit to the commands of Christ. All of them. Unfortunately, the church universal is made up of all types of people, some of whom submit to Christ and some of whom do not. Jesus spent a lot of time warning about the problems that the future church would bring on itself, a church that hadn't even been born yet, and all the problems he described involved disobedience that comes when the world enters into the church. These warnings of Jesus are future prophecies, and he wrote those prophecies to benefit future generations of Christians who would have to discern when the world was entering their space. One of those places in the Bible where we can find some instructions about this problem is the book of Revelation. The first three chapters of Revelation lay out the whole timeline leading up to the rapture and Jesus Christ's requirements to the church at Universal in that age. He takes the time to tell Christians of that age not only the requirements he has placed on the church of that age, but the pitfalls that will cause its members to take the wrong path. Revelation chapters 1 to 3, you see, are not historical commentaries about the church. They are not epistles to guide Christian behavior in every church age. They are future prophecies, which is why they are in Revelation, a book of prophecy about the end times. In a real sense, every Christian of every age has to choose which path to follow, the one headed toward the rapture or the one headed away from it. The path heading toward the rapture is the narrow path, the difficult path, the path less traveled. 
Jesus said in Matthew 7.14, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and few find it. That is the rapture gate that awaits all of us, but with special significance to the last generation. That's the gate that leads to life, and it is a tough gate to open and a tough path to follow because it requires us to dispose of our own personal ambitions and preferences that anchor us to this world and instead embrace Christ's commandments that will anchor us to his world. Following his commandments, though, goes against every human instinct and inclination. Those Christians who are alive at the time of the rapture but refuse to submit to Christ's lordship will be the Christians who are left behind. Anyone who says Christians are not destined for God's wrath has not read their Bible carefully enough. Not all Christians are destined for God's wrath, but wayward Christians who reject the lordship of Christ certainly are. Even so, Jesus, in his mercy, still provided them a thread of hope, a way to keep them off the wide path that leads to destruction, and put them back on the narrow path that leads to life with him. That thread will end up being a much harder road to travel than being snatched through a door to be with the Lord, but at least God in his mercy provided that last thread of hope. The path for those Christians, and a description of their character, is described by Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. In this portion of scripture, Jesus is addressing the universal church of Laodicea that represents the non-raptured church in the end times. This is what he has to say to the members of that church in that day. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That would be their door, not his door. His door has been closed at this point. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The members of the church of Laodicea think they have Jesus in their pocket. They think they know the gospel message and have the Bible all figured out, but they have figured wrong. Why? It's a reason that is repeated over and over in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The church universal of Laodicea, those members of that church, did not and will not put Jesus in the position of Lord of their lives. Their Jesus looks very much like themselves in all of their lusts and perversions and sins. They discount the words of God in the Bible as words of men, words that can be followed or discarded depending on what they want to get out of them. They select the words they like and they throw away the words they hate. And even the words they select are usually taken out of context and away from the meaning that the words were intended to convey. These wayward Christians think they are rich with Jesus and God, but Jesus advises them otherwise. They are in a most desperate condition. They are wretched, poor, naked, and sick. So Jesus does what he does with everyone. He offers to heal them. How? By a no-strings-attached gift of grace? No. Through a two-step process, starting out with the hardest step, at least for them, which is the step they have completely rejected up to this point. He tells them they have to repent. Repent of what? They have to repent of their lusts and their perversions and their sins, and the first step in repenting requires them to recognize that they have a problem, just like us. Maybe being left behind when many of their brethren suddenly depart this earth will get their attention. Assuming that they can manage to repent, they are part way home. To go the rest of the way, they will have to buy from Jesus the one thing they need for the journey, the very thing they did not want in the first place. They will need to buy his rulership over their existence, and the cost to make that purchase is their lives. He wants all of their possessions, including their lives, not just the part of their possessions and lives they want to share with him. And in his enormous grace and mercy, Jesus actually makes an overt attempt to get their attention. In the passage, it says he knocks. In real life, that knock will be one they will not be able to miss. It's called the Great Tribulation. When they hear the knock, and they will, 
And if they open the door for him, then he will come in and share a table with them, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. But to get there, they will have to depart this earth the hard way, which is via the people who don't like Christians and who will seek to ensure that they depart this earth as unpleasantly as possible. These are the two paths that are available to any Christian who makes it to the end times, the rapture or the tribulation. This podcast, hopefully, will encourage some people to find and follow the narrow path that Jesus Christ commands, the one that has him in charge of our lives rather than ourselves. But if that is not your taste, if you prefer to turn your life over to the vagaries of the world, then you may want to stick with us a while longer to see if you might change your mind. As we venture back into the world, that organized social, political, economic, and military system that was designed and created to advance Satan's wartime agenda against God, we are going to look at worldly events from the perspective of the church, which is the group of people who have been rescued out of that world system by Jesus, people who were stolen from Satan and taken from his kingdom to populate the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Naturally, neither Satan nor his followers appreciate Jesus very much for doing that, and they don't think very highly of the Christians who defected over to God's side either. So, in this ramp-up to the end times, it should come as no surprise that the world is beginning to turn on Christians. It's almost like they're waking up from a bad dream. The bad dream to them is life in a Christian society that holds the principle that all human beings are endowed by their Creator with inalienable rights, like babies should be protected in utero, and families are made up of a man, woman, and children with the parents having power of parental authority. And everyone who is not suffering from a genetic defect is either male or female. As these elements of the Christian nightmare fade from memory, the world's members feel a kind of clarity taking over, a clarity that screams in their minds that Christians are dangerous and deserve to be punished, maybe even destroyed. That clarity was made clear enough this week by Israeli Knesset members Moshe Gapni and Jacob Asher when they filed legislation to make talking about Jesus Christ in Israel illegal. That's right. After all the Christianized Western nations have done for Israel, they want to make it illegal to talk about the guy who made the whole thing possible in the first place. This audio clip is straight from Newsmax. Conservative Christian leaders are calling on Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to stop a bill proposed by members of his coalition to make it criminal to tell people about Jesus in Israel. Our Jerusalem correspondent Daniel Cohen is live near Tel Aviv with more. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning, Allison. Good morning, everyone. A big story just before uh, days before Palm Sunday, Good Friday and Easter. Sacred time for Christians. Two ultra-Orthodox members of Prime Minister Netanyahu's coalition have introduced a bill that would punish believers for sharing the gospel of Jesus with prison time. United Torah Judaism Knesset members Moshe Gaffney and Yaakov Asher introduced legislation last week making it illegal to share in conversation or produce content online, in print, or by mail. Their explanation of the bill emphasizes a warning to stop Christians in particular. So apparently, Christians are so dangerous to Jews that we must be stopped from communicating with others. This kind of speech restriction seems to be a growing theme with governments these days. And as if to emphasize the point that there are people who think Christians are dangerous, some of these people thought it would be a good idea to violently attack Christians again in Israel. In Israel, anti-Christian persecution is escalating. A school and convent run by the Franciscan Sisters of Nazareth was targeted in a drive-by machine gun shooting last week. And on Sunday, Israeli Jews disrupted an Eastern Orthodox liturgy and assaulted an Orthodox priest. It's kind of ironic that this opening act of satanic Christian persecution is not taking place in the Islamic world, where, let's face it, this kind of persecution never really ended but instead is rising in the nation of Israel, a country that owes its existence to Christians, especially American Christians, but should be naturally aligned with the Christian church anyway. Okay, you say, this is America and we're not in Israel, and things are different over here. I agree that it will be marginally more challenging for Satan's forces to persecute Americans, given that America's founding documents are rooted in Christian values and beliefs, protestations of atheists and Satanists notwithstanding. But the haters of Christ don't need to target the American church overtly because Christianity will be functionally disassembled once the American nation is disassembled. That disassembly process is already taking place in the form of a great civil war to dismantle the Constitution and bring America into subjugation to the boot of international powers using fifth-generation warfare tactics. 
Now, it has occurred to me that I use the term fifth generation warfare a lot, so it might be a good idea to define what I mean, since I like definitions. And I think it's helpful to follow the progression. First generation warfare refers to massed manpower column tactics and phalanx actions like those of ancient Persia, Greece, and Rome. You know, guys with swords and stuff running around killing people. We get a picture of that in the ancient Roman legions. Second generation warfare refers to increasingly sophisticated weapons and tactics that were developed during the early industrial era prior to the 20th century using such weapons as muskets, rifles, machine guns, and cannon. Third generation warfare utilized motorized vehicles, aircraft, ships, rockets, and missiles that were combined into mechanized armies and naval fleets. Fourth generation warfare refers to a more decentralized type of warfare using mobile military units, political actions, militarized civilian forces, guerrilla groups, private contractors, non-governmental organizations, and paramilitary organizations. And finally, fifth generation warfare refers to military operations that are conducted using non-kinetic actions such as cyber warfare, information warfare, data warfare, electronic warfare, and exotic technologies such as high-precision guided munitions, advanced artificial intelligence, weather warfare, economic supply chain and financial warfare, EMF and laser warfare, biowarfare, and tectonic warfare. We might even throw in nuclear warfare into the mix. And of course, each of these levels of warfare can be deployed individually or in combination with others to create a chaotic and confusing battle space. And, as if that isn't bad enough, we're even now entering the age of sixth-generation warfare, which is defined as special operations warfare that can affect human perceptions or manipulate space, time, matter, or energy at the molecular, atomic, subatomic, or quantum scale to leverage a tactical or strategic military advantage. Not that I want to worry you too much, but most, if not all, of these types of warfare are currently in play and are being unleashed on the United States. That should not come as a shock to those of us who are aware that the United States has a very long and consistent history of waging warfare against weaker and less capable opponents. We have cultivated a lot of enemies in this world. What probably is a shock to most of us is the identity of who is waging the war against America. Despite the shrill assertions of the leftists, it's not Russia. Despite the less shrill but still loud assertions of the rightists, it's not China. Yet. It is not even the globalists, at least directly. It is the American government, and specifically the Department of Defense and CIA, with a little help from the FBI. The American government is the only organization large enough, powerful enough, and close enough to take down America, so the satanic globalist and communist world leaders made sure to capture the U.S. government so that they could use it for that very purpose. Of course, not everyone in the military is on board with this plan. In fact, I would think that even today, most of our military forces would not support such a plan. The people who are in charge of running the operation seem to agree, which is why, starting with the Obama administration, the military found lots of creative ways to get rid of the people who stood for the Constitution they swore to protect, and they have been very busy replacing them with people who are more willing to protect the agenda-driven leaders at the expense of the civilians who still think the Constitution means something. But to leave nothing to chance, the globalists have created an environment where the bulk of our military personnel can be quickly deployed to far-off locations once a signal is given and the fuse of destruction is lit. At that signal, most of them will be deployed to some overseas war zone. A few of the more desirable members of the military will huddle in underground bunkers until the worst of the chaos dies out above, and the remaining military members will be sacrificed to that chaos by those who worship the gods of gold, silver, and precious stones. And once the defenders of freedom and the Constitution have been disseminated around the globe or eliminated, America will cease to be a viable nation and will be brought into subjugation to the rising new world order. That is our future, whether it starts in 2023 or ages and ages hence. Personally, I think we don't have all that long to wait to see the fruit of all this nefarious plotting come to bloom in America. Meanwhile, we Christians have a job to do, and that job is to prepare for the coming king. Preparation is action, not inaction. It does not mean that we are to pull out the lounge chair and wait on the rooftop for Jesus to shoot across the sky in a ball of lightning. One of the ways we are to prepare is to equip ourselves with armor by understanding what is actually taking place around us and by not falling into the delusions of the age. Since fifth and sixth generation warfare injects a large dose of delusion into society, we must learn to recognize and fight the weapons of delusion that are being deployed by our enemies, for Jesus' sake, if not for ours. 
Now, I can't help any of my loyal listeners dodge bullets or avoid bombs if they decide to hurl them at us. So if those are going to rain down on us, then God's will be done. But I can explain and warn against other modes of warfare that were to avoid or at least mitigate the damage, including biowarfare or biotechnology warfare, to be more precise, since it is a combination of biology and technology. That form of warfare has come up a lot lately, and it directly affects Christians and how we are able to operate in the world. It's one of the many deceptions that we're supposed to discern and reject, just like we are supposed to discern and reject the deception of woke ideology. But the purpose and role of the bioweapon goes far deeper into society than we like to think, so to reject it will require us to understand how it works, how it can be defeated, and how we can resist the weapon deployers who are multiplying in society, and maybe not help them out by being one ourselves. To help us do this, our side has a few good people who are working feverishly to understand the nature and function of this bioweapon that has been unleashed against us. They are fighting against time with limited resources and in an open, hostile environment of interference. Did you know, for example, that it's illegal for anyone to analyze the contents of the bioweapon that masquerades as a vaccine without getting government approval? And the governments of the world, including the United States, do not ever grant approval. Those who study the bioweapon must obtain samples covertly and risk government arrest for obtaining them. That's why it's difficult to identify the operating mechanism of these weapons and why there are so few published scientific articles about it, at least from independent laboratories and research institutes that don't get funding from the government or pharmaceutical companies. There just aren't that many people who are willing to take the political and professional risks of trying to research and publish such information, even if they're able to find a publisher. Instead, we have to make do with a handful of brave scientists and doctors who are not willing to bow to tyranny, but instead study with the equipment that they have available, post videos and photographs, conduct interviews, and prepare internet content for our consumption, at least when they're not being actively deplatformed. One of those leading this effort is attorney Todd Callender, and what he has found is rather astonishing. He summarized much of the most recent information in an interview he had with Maria Z when she guest-hosted The Alex Jones Show. The interview is too long to play in its entirety, but we need to hear at least some of the information because this is the reality of our times. Well, it's wonderful to have you on. Now, we've got Todd for a limited time today. We're going to break it about three minutes, but Todd, the essence of our discussion today is uh, about human augmentation. We've got documentation from the Ministry of Defense here, human augmentation, the dawn of a new paradigm. They've been doing this for quite some time uh, with soldiers, but they fully intend and have done this with human beings. Talk us through the essence of what we're talking about today. Well, sure. They, it's not like they've hidden it. There's a lot of papers that describe it. Um, one of the papers I sent you is where the U.S. Army studied cyborgs and, and the, um, the psychological relationship thereafter, the human augmentation paper. It's only page 67. They wonder if they're entitled to some legal rights. And then we would have seen Kim Jong-un uh, a year ago uh, or so did a demonstration of his super soldiers in our case, it's Robert V. Austin. It's in the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals um, in Colorado. We've actually put this into evidence. We've raised the issue that there is uh, existing U.S. Supreme Court um, authority on the subject. It's called molecular pathology versus mirror genetics. The holding in the case is the use of mRNA to effectuate gene modification results in the product. In this case, the vaccinated people belonging to the patent holders. We filed that in our lawsuit in August of 2021. We have maintained this throughout our case to this very day. Never once have any of the defendants, that's the DOD, HHS, FDA, um, nor their attorneys, the Department of Justice, denied it. Never once. Um, so in, in law, a lot of times that's deemed to be an admission. And that's exactly what we found is all the evidence to support that, in fact, the vaccinated people are a new species in the NASA Langley research paper on um, fifth generation warfare. They call these people Borg. So this is not speculation. This has happened, and they've been doing it in the United States military since 2005. What Todd is talking about is the deployment of gene modification technology that changes the human genome by inserting genetically modified information into human genes. Genetically modified genes produce desirable traits and physical characteristics that are considered property by the patent holder. The legal questions being raised by the DOD are whether people who have undergone genetic modification qualify as a new species and whether said new species of humans would qualify for human rights protection. 
The WHO, the World Health Organization, doesn't really care about this question because they're all about eliminating human rights protections wherever possible, but at least a few members of our awoking military still feel uneasy about the blanket elimination of human rights, which is a good thing. China's new concept of bio-based war includes vaccines with backdoors as bioweapons. Now, something that you've found through your research and your team, just you, you all do such an incredible job, Todd. Um, you found that human beings are essentially walking antennas, walking cyborgs. I want to go yeah. into, before break, how is this possible? Um, you, you, you talk about cesium in the injections and not only the injections, it's everywhere. I want to stop here because Maria read something that's very important. She read that China has developed vaccines with backdoor capabilities. Backdoor capabilities refers to a military payload that is part of the vaccine that can be accessed and deployed via remote transmission of signals. And if China has vaccines with backdoor capabilities, so do we, because our scientists worked with China to develop the vaccines that were deployed around the world. Let's hear Todd's answer to Maria. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, lipid nanoparticles, right? We all know that uh, all these manufacturers of the COVID shots are using lipid nanoparticles to, to contain payloads. These lipid nanoparticles slip right into a cell, they dump their payload, and then you have gene modification. We understand that these are aerosolized, but for whatever reason, um, whether they're in our food or water or in our lungs, they don't seem to work as well. So when they're mainlined in something called hydrogel, which is now appearing in pretty much all of the injectables that we're finding, they're able to actually remotely open the, the, the bomb doors if they so choose and cause a new pathogenic crisis in the body. So even I want to talk though about that MRNA new pathogenic... Todd, we've got about 15 seconds to break. I want to talk about that new pathogenic crisis, including programming future bioweapons through the technology already inside of human beings. Don't go anywhere. This is insane information. We'll be right back. Todd, please go on to what you were saying right before that break. This is bombshell information. Yeah, so what we had discovered in the course of, of doing our research and investigation for our case and what evidence we could get into the record, we, what we discovered is that an 18 gigahertz signal pulsed three times for a minute each will cause these lipid nanoparticles to swell and release the contents, release their payload inside of the subject. We also discovered that... Um, the Department of Energy maintains a database with thousands of uh, pathogens that they have made, including Marburg, including Ebola. Those are man-made pathogens. We found in their, their patents where they actually have encased these in lipid nanoparticles. And one of the problems uh, that we see today is we have no idea what has been injected into people because the FDA no longer cares. Well, they didn't care because it's a bioweapon that was deployed under the authority of the Department of Defense. The FDA had no authority to stop it, regulate it, or investigate it. Sasha Latipova covered that information back in episode 36. There is no manufacturing standards. There's no good manufacturing practices or protocols. 50% um, of the ingredients could change from what they disclosed to the FDA, and nobody would know. Is it possible, is my question, is it possible that Marburg, Ebola, and other pathogens have already been injected into people and they're just waiting for the right moment to, to pulse the 18 gigahertz signal and release them? But it's not only whether those pathogens have been injected. In a recent interview with you, uh, that, that I did with you and Lisa McGee, one of your researchers, you found that the, the technology that's been injected can be programmed real time to create... Yes other so-called viruses, which aren't actually viruses. They're right. part biological, part artificial. Talk us through that. Yes, because they've digitized these pathogens. And by the way, the Department of Energy sells these pathogens um, with the, the advent of uh, technology to digitize our DNA, which is what the, the PCR tests seem to have been. Um, three places to the right of a decimal. They have the ability to remotely program through EMF radiation, gigahertz signals in particular, to cause any pathogen known to mankind. It's just a function of strength and signal. So we're talking about f being programmed through 5G, essentially, or is this cap capability yeah, right. already there? With 5G's, mm. you've got it, 300 megahertz to, to 300 gigahertz. That's the range. The antennas are up all around us. We have all the evidence to point at electronic warfare. What you referenced a few minutes ago, um, is the same thing. And the reason why I, I mentioned the, the payloads of lipid nanoparticles is because we've come to understand that they work in tandem. 
um, the pathogens can be uh, inserted effectively and then encouraged to grow through the EMF radiation. So it's a combination of the two. The people that didn't get the shots are less susceptible to this EMF kind of a weapon. Um, it has to be a directed signal. And I think you were um, unfortunately a victim of that in Canberra. But when you have preloaded people with cesium, it turns them into a transducer, a transmitter, a battery and amplifier, and a cloud computing node. We have all of that science. It's, it's wide out in the public. All the papers exist. And um, the reality is vaccinated people have already been turned into a new species that our government, Health and Human Services, called SynBio, or simply Borg. This... Um this document that we referenced right at the start, which was human augmentation, the dawn of a new paradigm, Ministry of Defence, UK Ministry of Defence. At the front there, it's dated May 2021. It says a strategic implications project and it's signed off by the head of futures and strategic analysis. In this document, it says scientific and technological developments related to human augmentation are beginning to accelerate and converge with other fields such as sensors, artificial intelligence, novel materials, nanotechnology, and additive manufacturing. They talk about, Todd, the ability to enhance one's physical, psychological, or social capability. Um, and yeah. of course, initially they talk about this in the military. We know that China's been doing this with their soldiers for God knows how long. Um, but but this particular study or this particular document is happening to people now. So talk to us about yes. how what what China was doing with their soldiers. What do we know yes. about what, what technology has been uh, taken from that and now input into humans? Well, it's, it's fifth generation warfare. This, is, in fact, is their guiding document. And it talks about the ability... Um, to, to adjust to the circumstances that change. So, for instance, um, if you wanted to take over a foreign country, wouldn't you want to cause them, um, you know, the, their military to be weak and sick? Wouldn't that make it easier to invade them? Wouldn't it be great to, um, you know, pre-position some kind of a pathogen so that when the time comes to invade, you can make everybody fall over dead? That's exactly the kinds of things they're talking about. And in the case of this mines war, this is where our government and the Chinese mutually agree um, that there are advancers in this bio warfare that will take place on a month to month basis. I don't think it's by coincidence that everybody's trying to get boosters in the body every 30 days. Those are software upgrades. Moderna called this, the, the shots, a system installation with software upgrade. That's precisely what this is. It's fifth generation warfare. And if the Chinese are doing it right now, you can be assured we are too. When Kim Jong-un demonstrates people getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer with, with no noticeable difference to, to the soldier, those are super soldiers. They already exist. They've been demonstrated for us. We are in fifth generation warfare right now. And I think about half the world's population is a victim of it. Now, that's a lot to digest. We have been told by multiple pharmaceutical representatives that the pharmaceutical companies developed these vaccines using genetic information that was supplied by China. The Chinese scientists supposedly determined the genetic code for the COVID-19 virus, published it on the internet, and then our pharmaceutical companies uploaded that code to their computer system from which they were able to develop a vaccine in two or three days, depending on which company you listen to. Now, think about this. If China provided a code on which our vaccines was based, and if the vaccines have a backdoor capability, that might explain why a few days ago Chinese President Xi told a grinning Vladimir Putin that, quote, change is coming that hasn't happened in 100 years, and we are driving this change together. To design, produce, and deploy a vaccine bioweapon designed by China with a backdoor capabilities would be a blunder of epic proportions by all of our pharmaceutical company executives, the entire U.S. government, all the regulatory agencies that have anything to do with public health, and the entire military-industrial complex. Could all these entities and the people in them really be that stupid all at the same time? Of course they couldn't. It was obviously a pre-planned, pre-designed attack on our people and the people of the world by every organization I just listed. If the pharmaceutical companies really didn't develop the vaccines over a weekend, if they lied and had been working on the clot shot for months and years prior to its deployment, which they apparently did based on patents they filed and contracts they had with the DOD, then it was a pre-planned, pre-designed attack on our people by those same organizations. While we were locked down, confined to our homes, and suffering from the effects of whatever the COVID turns out to be, 
as well as the annual flu, the government, the power companies, the telecommunications companies, and the technology companies all took advantage of our being locked up to install extremely expensive 5G transmitters all across America and Canada, work that has continued to this day. So, how does this backdoor contraption seem to work? Well, it's all about the spike protein that we were told is part of the COVID-19 virus. It turns out the spike protein is the virus, or more specifically, it's the bioweapon that masquerades as a virus. It is biotechnology, a merging of biology and technology. The backdoor secret is tied up in the spike protein and the 5G system. The spike protein is common to many weaponized viruses, such as COVID-19, which is a SARS virus. The MERS virus, which stands for Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. That disease ravaged American troops during the 1990s during the Gulf Wars. Other viruses with a spike protein include Ebola and Marburg, which are hemorrhagic fevers that induce severe and often fatal bleeding from various orifices over just a few days. The spike protein is common to all these viruses, and here is the solution to the puzzle. Scientists and nanotechnologists are able to create this biomechanical material from the nanoparticles that make up the COVID-19 vaccine, and the spike proteins can have their shape changed in real time to become any of these supposed viruses. These next few clips are from an interview that Maria Z did with Karen Kingston, who is a researcher that we've had on this podcast prior. They created a biosynthetic life form. That, that's what biotechnology is. That's what transhumanism is. So, so this is from the same publication, you know, that, that just shows the spike protein is vulnerable to electromagnetic fields. And what it shows is that they can change the shape of the spike protein, the uh, atomical makeup, in hundreds of nanosecond time. We can't even concept how quickly that this can be triggered. It is the 5G system that enables them to change the shape of the spike protein when it transmits, when the 5G system transmits certain frequencies. What gives these biomechanical materials the ability to do this is programmability that the DoD weapons designers have been working to perfect. So, so again, this is from Moderna's website. So this, is, um, this is one of the master patents for all mRNA vaccines, you know, what they're calling vaccines, the mRNA pathogens too. Uh, and it clearly, this is straight on Moderna's website. It's right here. I made fun of what the, Bruce Lee from, um, what's he from? He's from uh, Forbes magazine writing hit pieces on, on Stu Peters because he's like, there's no evidence of this. I'm like, oh yeah, the evidence is hiding on Moderna's website. Oh yes, you know? Bruce Lee, very familiar with him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's a piece of work. I mean, these mm -hmm. investigative reporters can't find patents that are hiding on the manufacturer's website. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone needs yeah. to review his salary. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but so anyway, it says right here that the, the mRNA technologies are polymer-based, self-assembled nanoparticles, and they can be fully programmable, and they can be pro, you know, externally programmable. Like so, it, it's right here. But their plans go far beyond this nefarious ability to make people fatally sick from a distance. The people in charge are Satanists who hate God and hate their dependence on God. Their long-term plan is to manufacture a third helix on human chromosomes, which normally have a double helix, to create a biosynthetic life form that is completely different from the ones that God created. So but I want to point out, so CloudMinds, this is one of their SEC filings from 2019. And again, 5G is, is a, it, it, it's a terrible idea. It's not for our benefit. It's for our enslavement and our extermination. Uh, and it says here that AI, so they're AI humanoid robots, whatever, 5G tele telecommunication, telecommunication networks, um, networks and actuators, which by the way, and died suddenly, those long clots, yes. those are called soft actuators. They are biosynthetic networks that can communicate with external fields. That's what they are. So they're not clots. They're, they're, they're creating some other structure. Well, that, that's consistent with Mike Adams' findings where there are all of these, you know, high levels of tin and other conductive metals inside of the structures. That is, that is um, consistent with his findings, Karen. Through this kind of biosynthetic manipulation, our masters of the universe hope to create and plan on creating modified humans who are connectable to the 5G system and can be controlled in real time through a merging of human biology with the digital system that's controlled by them. They are literally trying to make people into a kind of controllable humanoid robot from human starting stock.
So what I found most important and alarming about their filing is their continual mentions of 5G. So here it says the 5G telecommunications network, which went up all throughout America, and I believe your country as well, and many nations during the lockdowns, it will accelerate the growth of the cloud robotics. And then down here, they call out the 5G network. It says among all the functions of cloud robots, software downloads, system upgrade, data transmission, including commands, for cloud monitoring and centralized control are all dependent on the speed and lack of delays of the mobile communications networks. The broad application of 5G network will increase bandwidth and decrease, basically increase speed, decrease latency, so that it'll increase speed, increase bandwidth, benefiting the robot system by increasing stability and exchange of information and enabling robots to be more interactive through real-time connection and transfer of huge amounts of data to and from the cloud. Now these robots are the humanoids, so they're making them, but they're also manufacturing them inside our bodies. Yes. And for those who don't believe that they are trying to modify human bodies to merge with technology, the transformation has already begun. And so this company that uses 5G, the U.S. Department of Commerce has identified them as a threat to national security. So it says here they, they, they believe there's reasonable concern that these entities pose a significant risk of becoming involved in activities, the procurement of commodities and technologies for military end use in China. So the 5G powers were put up as a, as a Chinese military operation, as are these mRNA pathogens. And in those patents for on, on Moderna's website, as you go through them, they will go back to patents that are owned by the Chinese military, such as the one for single-walled carbon nanotubes which was further developed by our U.S. Army by John Key, who's an engineer from China, who, who worked to reduce the size of the carbon nanotubes to enhance the functionality of the quantum dots, right? So this is all, so this is, it's, 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 it's terrifying because it's more of a Chinese, U.S. Uh, deep state military operation, and then, and then they use, you know, independent parties. I mean, I have evidence that shows that these mRNA injections and the pathogens are also developed by the Chinese military. And the Chinese don't, they don't cover up at all that these are used for, for warfare, right? No, they don't. No, yeah. they don't at all. And they, uh, I just went through with Todd Callender the other day, last week, about um, the, the, from Chinese documents that they planned to use vaccines as a backdoor for biological warfare. So th yeah. th th they don't hide this at all. No, not at all. And so, and so I just want to show, so Pfizer, a lot of their materials come from China. I broke this on Stu Peters in July of 2021 with their relationship with Fossum Pharma, as well as Sinopeg, which is one of the manufacturers of some of these lipid nanoparticles. But again, from Pfizer's internal document from Grot, their Groton, Connecticut, which is their headquarters for research and development, it says that they order basically what they're calling the mRNA sequences from, you know, uh, and, and shapes and sequences the inert information from a company called Sinobiological, right? So Sinobiological has over 280 variants that you can order. So, so when Jordan Walker said, well, we don't make the variants, he was being honest. They order them from China. Wow. Or the sequences. Yeah. Including the, the you know, infamous XBB.1.5, you know, which Jimmy Fallon made that goofy song about, right? So these are what all a disgrace of a human being. Yeah. So these are all, these are all pre-made, what they're calling variants, the mRNA is all, and, and so Pfizer's ordering it from a company from China and, and, and they're shipping these all over the world. You know, there's, there's other companies you can order this from. There's another company in the UK. Uh, but I also went on the FDA's website, I don't have to share with your guests right now, to see where ALC0135 comes from, which is, again, one of the lipid nanoparticle components. 13 of the manufacturers are based in China. Russia's not the enemy. This is a, this is a CCP, this is also a CCP-PLA operation. That's a People Liberation Army. And then this technology does merge with cells, and this is the hit piece that Verifact, I'm going to go into that too, that the, how it does it with dendrimers. So I said these are indestructible, and Verifact said, no, they're not. Uh, when they wrote the hit piece on me after I was on Stu Peters, they say, nor is it true that the lipid nanoparticles are indestructible. In fact, once they have transported genetic material into the cell, they fuse with the cell membrane. Oh my gosh, that's even worse. Yeah, I know that's worse than it not being destroyed. It be yes. it, it, actually, it isn't destroyed when it fuses with the human. I mean, no. This, this is very perfect. So it does fuse with the cell. They're correct. But that's transhumanism. When yes. you take nanotechnology and fuse it with a cell, that is transhumanism.
the gaslighting is unbelievable where they're saying this isn't this isn't about you know nanotechnology creating hybrid humans it's about the nanotechnology that we are calling a lipid fusing with human cells this is the ultimate backdoor fifth generation weapon system and it is just waiting to be activated by a transmitted signal by someone who knows what is going on and that someone seems to be a strange partnership of the american government the Chinese government, the Russian government, globalists and their corporatocracy, and various military departments. That makes this a rather daunting challenge for Christians to deal with. Yet that seems to be what we're facing, and more than just a few people seem to know what's going on. Just listen to the mocking T-Mobile 5G commercial that appeared a few years ago in which two scientists enter a nuclear silo-like command center to launch the 5G system. We're ready. Hell yeah. Been looking forward to this. Modulating frequencies now. It's time. Let's light it up. Are you ready, Neville? Pre-check. Check. Check. Okay, Neville. In T-minus three, two, one. Ready to launch. Hit the button. Here we go. It's working. It's, it's working. working. Nationwide 5G is live. Yeah. yeah. And we're just getting started. We'll wait until they see what's next. Soon, my friend. Very soon. Of course, it's easy to dismiss a commercial as just a funny parody on nuclear war, if you think nuclear war is funny. Except the more we learn about these nanoweapons, the less funny and more malevolent the commercial seems to be. While bioweapons are a major component of this fifth and sixth generation war, they are far from the only deployed weapon. Sophisticated warriors of the modern age never put all their warfare eggs in one basket. Just as the bioweapon shot may have multiple modes of operation, and likely does have multiple modes of operation, other exotic weapons have been deployed that also have multiple modes of operation and possibly even contain a synergistic action. Synergistic weapons require a catalyst or an activator to become active. We, the United States, have deployed synergistic weapons that sit dormant for years, not drawing any attention, waiting to be activated when another chemical is added to it, or a form of energy, or a frequency, or even a vibratory wave of a certain frequency. Does the bioweapon masquerading as a vaccine operate this way? Well, we don't know, but it's possible. Maybe that's one reason they want us to get boosters every month, like you are upgrading an operating system or you're recharging your batteries, as one government official recently said. The weapon designers certainly know how this thing works, and the weapon purchasers know how it works. But we are the disadvantaged victims who do not know how it works or even exactly what the weapon is. We took for granted that the government was going to protect our health and welfare and that it would identify and prosecute anyone who did not comply with strict testing and production guidelines for vaccines. But in a world where the government has been hijacked, and in a country where men from long ago knew that our government was as corrupt as all the rest of them, they put in place safeguards to protect us from just this kind of activity. But we despise their wisdom and the ideas behind limited government that they put into practice. And we craved a government that would protect us from the unknown, provide for our every want and need, and substitute its will for our own will on the guise of peace and safety for all. Well, we got exactly what we wanted, just like the ancient Israelites did. Now, we have to live with that and rely on ourselves and God to protect our lives and our families. Fortunately, we have some smart people on our side who are clever at figuring out technological mysteries, even with limited resources. Many of these people, like Karen Kingston and Maria Z, are godly Christians who work under the guidance and protection of the Holy Spirit, so we're not helpless. We just don't have much time. 
But while physical weapons are frightening and can do considerable damage, they are actually not the biggest threat to Christians. They might deprive us of a body that's failing and disintegrating anyway, but the real threat to Christians comes from the combining of advanced technology with spiritual power. That is the threat behind the threat. Satan's forces are trying to keep us busy and preoccupied responding to the secondary physical threats so that they can sneak the real satanic anti-Christian weapon past our noses without ever being noticed. The real threat is demonic spiritual power because it is the one capability of Satan that we don't have any experience recognizing and we're least able to defend against and most susceptible to a deception. So next episode, if God keeps us alive that long, we will start exploring the great deception that God promised was coming, one that would deceive even the elect if it were possible. That's how convincing it's going to be. Now the question we need to ask ourselves is this, who in this context is the elect? If you found this podcast interesting, useful, or important, please recommend it to someone you know and punch that sign, symbol, or button to encourage others to listen. Underground Christian can be heard on several fine podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, iHeart, Player FM, Listen Notes, Pandora, Samsung Podcasts, Podchaser, and wait for it, undergroundchristian.net. Yes, it's true. We finally have a working website. Woo-woo. I'm not promising a website of glamour and allure, but all the episodes are there. If you wish to contact me, please send an email to undergroundchristian at outlook.com. Lord, as I said last week, the demons of darkness are rising and our own government is trying to transhumanify us all. Please extend your hand of protection over the listeners of this podcast and protect all of us from the evil one, deflecting his evil and the evil of those who work for him back onto them, enabling the true followers of Christ to fulfill the assignment that we've been given with cheerfulness and joy no matter what the difficulties we face. Because we know that Jesus Christ is coming back to depose the despots and topple the tyrants, just as it says in Revelation 19, where it says, Now I saw a heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us! And after the cleanup action is complete, there is going to be one big happy celebration! May Jesus return soon, and in the meantime, please help us to bring more people over to our side, all for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And if you haven't seen the dance video, All Over the World by ELO on the YouTube, you should. That's what the remnant of the world is going to be doing when Jesus Christ hits the ground with all his forces. Yeah.